Well, good to see you all and excited to be in God's Word together. You can start turning with me to the book of Ruth. We're in chapter 2 here this morning. And while we're turning there, I'm wondering how many of you would uh, kind of self-ascribe yourself as having the spiritual gift of meddling. You enjoy messing with people, primarily within your family unit. I don't know if there's anyone else that would describe that for yourself. Really like messing with people and seeing the response. I've determined that this is something that's hereditary. My dad growing up was very good at meddling and messing with us as kids. I was reflecting with him a little bit on that this past week. I remember at one point he, he actually put Vaseline on our, ki- on our toilet seat of our, in our bathroom. I'm like, who does that as a pair? And uh, another time, one of the things he was known for doing consistently is ice down the back. Anybody do that with a, down the back of your shirt? You're like, oh, that's the worst, especially if it makes it even the next level down, you get the point. Here's the one that still he does to this day is if you fall asleep on the beach, like if we're at the, on a, a beach kind of scenario, if you fall sleep on your back, he'll put, st- he'll still do this, fill your belly button with sand. Like th- that's just cruel. You know how long it takes to get all that out? Like that's a, a, a real deal. And so the gift is passed on from one generation to the next. My family gets annoyed with some of the things that I do, uh, that I discovered uh, growing over the, the years, some things I've picked up. One of the things that especially annoys my family is uh, when one of them mentions having a hard time hearing something, I'll say, what was that? And they'll say, yeah, I had a hard time hearing. And then if I can get them to say it a third time, what was that? And then when they're really, I had a hard time. And then it sinks in at that moment that they're repeating the statement that I so desperately wanted them. And there's this little smirk that comes on my face because there's this moment that you realize or you see in the person's eyes that they realize, oh, I've been set up. I've been set up. All this was staging and building towards that. And I think about that as it relates to our Christian life. And you're like, Scott, this is a far stretch. Work with me here. When you think about our walk with the Lord, the longer we've been following the Lord, the more it actually starts to sink in that we've been set up. This is all a setup for his glory and for the good of those who love and follow him. All of this, he coordinates all of this, he orchestrates all of this, and there's kind of that, that moment at some people's lives where it finally registers, oh, he's at work here. It's him doing this. It's not me. It's, it's not just coincidence. Our God doesn't do coincidence. He does orchestrating and manipulating. And I love that he's able to use on this free will planet. I'm not saying that we're absent of bad stuff. That he's able to take some of the poor choices of others and still use the bad stuff even for our good. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it impressive when you actually reflect on that and see how his fingerprints are all over the place? My hope is, is that we, like we're about to see in our story this morning with Ruth and Naomi, actually have eyes to see this. Because when you actually do recognize his hand at work and his orchestrating, what does that do? One, it amplifies our praise. We're definitely more prone to say, give him the appropriate glory for that. Two, it also ignites our prayer life. Because we're like, whoa, if he's able to change circumstances, if he's able to do that, I better ask him for some things that I'd like to see adjusted in my life, right? 
So for us on this kind of process of starting to see and have eyes to recognize his hand at work, I thought I'd pull out from the archives. I don't know if you knew this, but I was a business major in my undergrad. Here's a business graph as an illustration. You might say it'd be hard to be do done here in church, but here we're going to use this. This is the picture of how it works in kind of the, the business world is you have about 2.5% of the population would describe themselves as innovators. The person that comes up with the cool stuff, the Steve Jobs, if you will, the, the people that create the things, the products for the environment. Once they introduce that, you have, first off, the early adopters. What I mean by that, or what they mean by that, I didn't invent this, early adopter is the person that's waiting in line. Or they're the one camping out overnight when the iPhone comes out. Anybody do this? Anybody describe yourself as an early adopter must have the new stuff. So the early adopters. Then you have a lot of, a bigger group, the early adopters, that are okay with not being the very first, but still like to be on the front side of the curve. Anybody describe themselves like this? The, is anybody listening to my story? Uh, so, so third one, early majority, then late majority. This is the person that's very slow to kind of catch on to things. Anybody confess to this where you're like, ah, I would get the new iMac, but it doesn't have the CD player any longer. I don't know if I'm ready to give up that. Anybody feel that pain? My wife. Uh, and, so, and so here's the, the picture, the very last person, the person that's still rocking the eight tracks. This is the laggard, with, is what they describe this person. Very slow and almost resistant to acknowledge their need for something. They're like, I'm not going to Blu-ray. I'm not going to, I'm not getting a CD. VCRs still work perfectly fine for me. This is the person that's a little slow in the adopting. Here, the reason I bring this chart up is because really in our walk with the Lord, we can fall in any one of these categories with recognizing God's hand at work in our life. We can either be the person that like, man, as soon as there's a hint of something going on that God's doing, you're just like, yes, I'm giving him the praise. Or you can be like, yeah, when I notice everybody else is starting to notice, I'll jump in. Or the worst, don't be the laggard. Where God has to literally send a lightning bolt from heaven before you finally recognize, oh, I guess that was God. I guess that was God. Don't be the laggard. I want us as a church to be the early adopters in recognizing his hand setting and orchestrating things up in our life. Amen? Let me pray before we dive into the text. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together, to be in your house, to celebrate you through song. And now, as we study this cute, beautiful little story, this little love story with Naomi and Ruth and Boaz we're going to be introduced with, I ask that you'd teach us, that you'd open our eyes, God, that on the other side of this time spent, we might have a, a clearer picture of maybe even how you're choosing to operate in our lives. We submit this time to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So Ruth chapter 2 this morning, we're starting and we're looking at some of the different things that the ways that, that God works in orchestrating and coordinating things since he's got it all set up. Look at verse 1, says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of, of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. 
All right, we'll stop there for a second. This is an introduction of a new character on the, the scene. His name is Boaz. We see that he's related to Elimelech. Now, you remember last week when we were starting the setup of the story, Elimelech was the deceased husband of Naomi. Both Naomi and Ruth had both lost their husbands and were kind of left in a pretty uh, just uh, difficult situation. So they went back to Bethlehem. So now they're back in Bethlehem. We're being introduced to this character. Uh, we're told a little bit about him. It says that he's a worthy man, which means that he was held in high esteem by his peers. His name actually, Boaz, means in him is strength. In him is strength. We're unsure at this point in the narrative what his role is going to be, but it's a little initial introduction. We'll get more into him as the story plays out. The text jumps back to what's happening with Naomi and Ruth. Remember, they show up here and they literally are in a very desperate place. And she's here, Ruth is, is, is kind of reintroduced onto the scene. And you remember about her from last week, she is, has a lot of strikes going against her. First off, she's a Moabite, which was kind of a, a hated people group in that day and age by the Israelites, and moving back in around people uh, that would not necessarily like you because of your heritage, your family background. So she's moving there. She's, she's already, as a young woman, been married and lost her husband. She no longer has her virginity. She no longer has any resources, no family to speak about, really just this, this cranky mother-in-law named Naomi. So not necessarily somebody that you would swipe left on christiantingle.com, like you'd, you'd probably look past her profile. But instead, instead of letting her circumstances lead, she's determined, which so often doesn't happen. Usually when there's negative circumstances, it leads somebody down a negative road. But instead, she has this resolve that she's going to actually be active in her faith. She's not waiting on God, but looking for God. There's a big difference between the two, waiting on God and looking for God. Some people just sit back and say, oh, maybe God at some point is going to miraculously work in my situation. Maybe, but a lot of times it comes on the other side of going out and looking for where God is at work. In this case, she decides to go in the fields and glean. That might be a new word for some of us. Glean, this, this is the idea. It's something that God set up. All the way back in Leviticus 19.9, it was kind of the description of kind of their provision for the poor, kind of food stamps, if you will. When they're gathering their harvest, the person that's gathering the harvest, they could only by law do one sweep of the grain with a threshing sheath and only do one shot at it. Anything that was left over that was to be left for the poor. They also weren't allowed to cover the corners of the field. So literally at the end of harvest, there would be about 30%, up to 30% of the grain still left over as a provision for the poor. Kind of a, a cool thing, a budgeted generosity if you think about it, that God had put in place. I love that literally Naomi and Ruth, as Ruth's considering her scenario, she makes the choice, okay, well, what is God's provision for somebody in our situation? She actually starts by going to his provision and then taking steps from there. So often, if that was the starting point for us when we're in a difficult situation, what if we started by looking at, oh, well, what's God's word say about that? Well, she makes that choice to look at the provision that's in place and then acts on it. She's not sitting back and waiting. So often I'll have a conversation with somebody that maybe is unemployed or going through a difficult time. So how's, how's that job search going? Well, I'm just waiting on God to provide a job. 
So have you gotten some resumes out there? Nope, just here waiting on God. You know, I'm waiting on God to provide a, a wife too. Have you met anybody new recently? Nope. Have you left your parents' basement? Nope. Like that's a, it's a problem. God, so often the way he operates is our efforts set the table for his provision. Our efforts set the table for his provision. When we actually get out and start doing things. I don't know if anybody follows uh, kind of your, your phone for navigation and when you're driving. So often when you're in a random spot, you'll punch in the address and you'll want to get it started. But what does it say before it's ready to start? It says, proceed to the route. Proceed to the route. You're like, but it hasn't given me a route yet. It's like, listen, you have to start moving to give it enough information to work with. Then the instructions will come on the other side of that. For us, as Christ followers, so often we have to start moving and then God will meet us in that. I love that in her description here in these first couple verses, she's realizing that the hinge factor in her next era or season of life is she's saying, I've got to wait for God to provide favor. She uses the word favor through someone kind of a fun study to do sometime on your own in God's word is to kind of look up what's the running theme of favor throughout scripture. I remember when Adrian and I were first moving out here it was kind of a, a season that I was actually doing a little bit of a study on that and said, man, that's a, a very healthy prayer for us to pray. Asking God to provide favor. If you look in the Old Testament, it's all over the place from the story of Joseph, Esther, David, now here in Ruth, also even Jesus himself, it described as growing in favor with God and man. It's that intangible thing that God gives in someone's life or doesn't give. The, the gift of it is this. All of a sudden when you have favor in people's lives, in their mind, they're like, oh man, you can have influence. And the cool thing about favor is nobody gets credit for it other than him. He's the only one that can have credit for it. You can, you can pray for favor and it's kind of like a spiritual gift. It was something given to you. It's not something you earned or deserved. It's something that was given and bestowed on you. I love how Psalm 512 describes it. It says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. You cover him with favor as with a shield. That can maybe for some of us this morning, that might be a, a healthy prayer for you to introduce into your prayer life when you're trying to work with a God that's orchestrating things behind the scenes. Continue in the text. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. All right, let's stop there just to explore this section of scripture. I don't know if you've noticed a trend in your life, but one of the things that I noticed is when someone's about to take a photo, there's certain protocol for that photograph. 
Usually you want to get yourself positioned in front of the camera. You want to have a nice smile. I don't know if anybody who does this has a preferred side that you like to look at. You got to kind of get the, kind of suck it in, shoulders back. You kind of give your best image for a photograph, right? That's kind of natural. I think some of the very best photographs, though, are when you catch somebody in their natural habitat, right? When you kind of catch somebody that wasn't expecting the photo, they're laughing, they're having a good time, and you're like, oh, that's the way I actually picture them, not this doctored up version of yourself, right? But here's what I love about this section of scripture, is you're getting to see Boaz in his natural habitat. You're going to get him to see him where he's not trying to put on a show. He's just showing up to work like any other work day, if you think about it. He's just pulling up in his Camelac Escalade, and, uh, and he's pulling up. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, he's pulling up. He shows up to check in on his workers. And how does, it, how does he greet his workers? Anybody notice that in their text? He, says, he rolls up to him. He says he greets them with, the Lord be with you. They return the blessing. The Lord bless you. Now, that caught my attention because I'm just wondering how many of you, when you show up at your work, at your place of business, if you walk in and into your cubicle zone, if you're like, hey, the Lord be with you all. And they all respond perfectly, right? The Lord bless you. Is that how it goes in your work on a Monday morning? I would suggest you try that tomorrow morning. That's a good uh, role to implement into the workday. But you think about that, I was like, oh man, that says something about his character, right? Get to know him a little bit, a little bit about, about what he was about, how he was wired. He actually saw business the way we're supposed to see business. You either, if you think about it in the work world, you either love money and use people, or you love people and use money to demonstrate it. It's one or the other. And what he's seeing, in his role, he's showing up and he sees himself as the pastor of his business. For some of us businessmen that own a, a, a practice or a business or some kind of a, a role, man, there's something to glean from this. There's something to, to take from this to see your ministry in the workplace. It says a lot about us. Sometimes I'm embarrassed to see how sometimes Christian businessmen operate. Some of the language that they use, some of the things that they joke about, some of the practices that they're okay with, some of the cutting corners that they're all right with. You know, there's something in this about Boaz's character that sets him apart in a time period that we were told where every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. He's saying, no, I'm gonna do what's right in his eyes. And that was pretty beautiful. I love it, it says in the first verse there, it says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Oh, just, there's a little bit of tongue in cheek from the author. Oh, just happened to work out that way. Like who would have guessed? What are the chances of that? In scripture, you see God work in two different ways, very specific, exact miracles, like in the, in, throughout scripture, whether on the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea, nobody's wondering if that was God doing that. You see the feeding of the 5,000, no question marks there. The piece that they're starting to notice here, and I would call us to notice, is the orchestrating of circumstances of encounters, of chance meetings. Here, they're about to go on a God-ordained blind date. Pretty awesome. And I love that what happens here, once he has a chance to see everybody that he's kind of assessing things, he shows up and look at his words. He says, whose young woman 
is this? Who's your, in the Greek, basically that means wowzer. Who is this? Like who, who is this girl that's new on the, the field here? I've never seen her before. Here's the other fun way that God works. He orchestrates meetings. He also, this is maybe new information for you. He also orchestrates attraction. He also orchestrates attraction. Now, let's be honest here. We're in church. How many of you, you have ever seen a couple before and you're just thought to yourself, how in the world did he get her, right? Or vice versa. How in the world did she get him? People look at Adrian and I all the time. How in the world did he get her? Like that's a question mark. It's a fair question as she's scowling at me right now. But this picture is another glimpse of how our God works. He determines attraction. He determines circumstances. He determines who crosses whose path. And I love that this picture, that we learned something about Bose's character also, that he doesn't just find her attractive. A lot of people, young men, listen to me for a second. A lot of people are like, oh, she's attractive. Let's go. Let's, uh, like, I'm ready for this relationship. No, instead, attraction leads to investigation. Are you following me? Attraction led to investigation. He decided, oh, I find her attractive. I'm going to ask some questions. Goes to his foreman. He gets the full report. The foreman starts telling, giving some points. Family background, how polite she was in asking for permission to, to go behind the workers. And then this is the part where I love, because this is like, this is legit farmer stuff going on here. So what kind of worker she is? Well, I'll tell you, she got here at sunup, and she hasn't stopped working. She only took one break. You picture this kind of dialogue, right? This farmer kind of dialogue. It made me remember the, the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Do you guys remember the scene where he's introducing the, his wife? And she might be skinny and scrawny, but she sure is strong. Anybody remember this? Our last kid came out sideways. Anyway, so that's the picture that I had. He, so he's pretty impressed. He points out to Boaz all of her character qualities. Verse 8, we see how Boaz responds. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. I, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother, your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Such a cool picture. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsels in the wine. So she, she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose again to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. 
get the picture here. There's some legit farmer flirting going on. This is a, a lot going on here. He's working by, behind the scenes. It's like farmersonly.com. A lot happening in this. And Boaz is extremely, you see it here in the text, kinder. If he hadn't been kinder, think about it for a moment, he would have been ruthless. Sorry, that'll come later. But in this scenario, he chooses to be kind. I stole that from another pastor. Uh, in, this, in this picture, he points out all the ways that he's going to be a provider for her. Listen, you can, you can stay with, and I love he inter, it refers to her as daughter. He sees her now with some kind of weird uh, goggles on. Instead, he's seeing her from a fatherly perspective. He doesn't have a weird agenda. He's concerned about her purity and protection. He says, listen, I've, I've set it up so you can stay with the young ladies in my field. You can follow them around. I've made sure that none of the men are going to do anything to harm you. In that day and age, it was a dangerous thing to go into these fields, never knowing what you're going to get. So he's concerned about her safety. He's making sure she's provided for. You can come and drink from my water. All of this. And I love seeing her response. You notice it there in the text. It says that she gets down on her face before her. How have I found favor in your sight? See, we know the answer to that, right? We have a God that's involved with those such things. We have a God that's, that, that's responding to prayers. You might not remember this, but in chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1, Naomi actually prayed a blessing over her. She said of Ruth, she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you. This is an answer to prayer, an answer to that prayer. God is actually showing his kindness through Boaz, through Boaz. I love that picture and how Boaz responds in verse 12. He paints a, a beautiful picture praying over her himself. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. That's his, that's his prayer for her. What I find interesting in that prayer for her, he actually takes action to be the answer to the prayer that he's praying for her. Here's the, the cool thing of the way that our God works in orchestrating all of this. Not only does he invite us to bring requests before him, he says, I might even let you be the extension of my provision for them. Are you following me? This, this is exactly what he's set up here. He said, you know what, you're going to ask that she'd be blessed, and then you're going to have the opportunity to do that. He gets to be his, God's extension to her. He provides, he sets aside grain. He says, oh, just make sure you leave a little bit extra out for her. Pretty cool picture. Think about that in our own lives as we apply some of this. How you have the potential to be the extension of God's hand of provision in someone else's life. Cool to think that, isn't it? I was listening to a story this last week. A pastor friend of mine from Chicago, his name's Steve Gillen. He actually has a pretty big responsibility. Now he's the interim pastor at Willow Creek Community Church. I heard a little soundbite from a message that he's preaching, just a story that he was sharing. I thought it spoke very clearly to this topic or idea. He's talking about visiting a men's small group or a Bible study. And in the, the time in that small group, he really felt the tug. He knew this one particular guy in the group was struggling financially. And he felt God was telling him, you know what, make sure, uh, you, why, why don't you pass on $100 to this guy and do it in a manner where he, where he doesn't know where it's coming from. So Steve's like, all right. So he found an envelope, snuck a, a hundred bucks in and decided, he's like, the guy got up from his seat for a minute. He says, I decided to put the envelope into his Bible. 
He's like, that's why he's like, he's like, and then he wouldn't know where it was coming from. He, he left the situation and Steve was saying he, he felt good because he actually responded to a nudge. He was saying how he misses so many of those. So in the week though, a couple days later, he's thinking to himself, saying, he's thinking, man, but I don't know. There's some people that don't really open their Bibles very often. That might sit on his shelf for a long time before he ever finds it. He said he was very tempted to call up the guy and be like, hey, why don't you read in Genesis? I think there's a word from the Lord for you. You know what I mean? Like one of those. But he said he decided not to. He decided to let itself play out. So he almost had forgotten about what had happened. A couple weeks later, he crossed paths with the guy and the guy pulled him to the side. He goes, Pastor, Steve, you're not gonna believe what happened to me. You're not going to, and you can guess where this is going. He says, I, I, I was meeting with a guy that was telling me about all of the hardship his family was having. He says, I felt the tug that I needed to give this guy a hundred bucks. And he's like, but I don't have a hundred bucks. So he's really torn with what to do. So he said, you know, all I knew to do was at least just go to God's word. What does God's word say about it, right? So guess where he found a hundred bucks. And he's like, Steve, you wouldn't believe what happened. I found the envelopes. He's like, no kidding, huh? Tell, tell me about that. He got to be not just the receiving end of God's provision, but also the extension of God's provision. This is the adventure that we're invited to. And just in case you're wondering, I keep my Bible right on top of my desk in the other room there. And so, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, here's, the, here, here's the, the, the idea, is God invites us to this that we can be his hands and feet. We can get into this whole setup thing that he's doing around us. I love kind of how this story plays out. Look at the last section. We'll just look at that briefly. It says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what, was, what she had left over and, uh, after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We'll talk about that more next week. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this young, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of, the, of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We'll stop there for the morning, but you see this extreme provision. It says that she gathered, a, after she kind of worked it out and kind of got into bags, a ephah of grain. An ephah of grain was about 30 pounds of grain. So she's coming back with a big old sack of grains. It would be equivalent to about two weeks of labor for a common worker in that day and age, all in one day. All of a sudden, look at, at Naomi's response. Do you guys remember her from last week in the story? What did she, when somebody had addressed her as Naomi, she's like, I'm, my name's not Naomi, my name's Mara, because Mara means bitter. So she was like a bitter, bitter woman. And instead, you're getting to see a little different version of her, right? 
all of a sudden on the other side of provision, she's putting the spotlight on God's faithfulness. All of a sudden she's using these terms, she says, whose kindness is not forsaken the living and or the dead, this picture that God has not forgotten about her. So fun to see how God works, how he operates, how he can take a story that seems completely hopeless, beyond redemption, where, where Naomi and Ruth, I mean, at the beginning of last week, you're just like, man, I don't know what they're going to do. They are in a bad situation. And God, with the turn of a dial, with a little bit of favor, a little bit of attraction, a little bit of aligned circumstances, all of a sudden he's like, I've got this covered. I I'm taking care of you. For us, that's a wonderful reminder. What did we learn last week? That our story's not done yet. Wait for the next chapter, right? Wait until the, the, the ending before you come to conclusions. Here, Naomi is redirecting appropriately the praise to God. So we're thinking about this in our response. Man, I would love for us to be early in recognizing God's hand of provision early in seeing his fingerprints, early in celebrating, not to be laggers in this whole thing, that we recognize it and celebrate it. And here's the last piece as we wrap up and verbalize it, verbalize it. When you see his hand, when you notice something happening, when you see his fingerprints, what would happen if we started being a church that vocalized the ways that we're seeing God's hand at work? What if in our interactions, all of a sudden we're sharing, yeah, this is, this is what God was doing in my, hand, in my household this week. What, 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 do you see the snowball factor in that? Where all of a sudden the ripple effect when we're all praising him. One, when we share, what does it do? It encourages somebody else. Two, it puts the spotlight on God's provision. Three, it, it, it develops our faith. It, it makes us more and more prone to think when we're going through our next difficult circumstance, oh, well, Billy Bob, he had that to happen to him. I made up Billy Bob. But uh, you get, get the idea that all of a sudden you start to see God for who he is, the, ones that's, the one that's coordinating all of this, that has a plan, that has your best interest in mind. Let me wrap up in prayer. God, we thank you for this story that's not just any story. It's a story of your hand on the move. You working in circumstances, you working with favor, you working with attraction, you working with provision through somebody. My prayer is, is that we would have eyes to see this, that there would be that aha moment on a regular basis in our lives. And then as we notice it, that we'd celebrate it. God, we thank you for your kindness, your goodness, and that out of this universe that you've created, your affection falls on us. What an unbelievable reality. We praise you for that this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I pray you have a wonderful remainder of your Sunday. Just a couple things as you're going. We have a couple volunteers here. If there's something we can be praying specifically about, and you might even mix it up with that. Maybe share something that you want to praise God for to one of those prayers this morning. Then as you're leaving today, once a month, we have the opportunity to give towards our deacons fund, which helps specific people within our church community. If you want to be a part of that, you're welcome as well. As I had mentioned, though, have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.